All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 57 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee and I'm here with my sister, Lauren, and we have a very special guest all the way from Australia today. We have James Swanick and he is an Australian American investor, entrepreneur, speaker, former sports center anchor on ESPN, host of the James Swanick show podcast, and the author of the 30 day no alcohol challenge. Forbes listed James as one of the 25 professional networking experts to watch. We had a blast talking with James today. We talk a lot about sleep optimization, and then we get into the nitty gritty of alcohol. So alcohol really is a toxin. So we talk about what it's doing to our body, how it's aging us, and then some tips on how we can eliminate it from our lives. And James is really an expert in the, on this topic. So he's a great resource if you're looking to give up alcohol. Um, so help me welcome James to the show. Welcome James to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are so excited to have you here. This has been planned for a while. So welcome. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, Lauren. Great to be here. <laughs> yes, we're all in different times of day right now. You're actually our second Australian guest. It's really fun to try to figure out the time zones when we're planning <laughs> the episode. But it's nice to see you face-to-face -face again. I, we saw you a few years ago at Paleo FX, where we first got our, our Swannies. And um, I feel like it's a long overdue chat. So excited to have you on. Yeah, great. I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you ladies. Yeah. Awesome. And Lauren, since you just mentioned Swannies, I will say, you know, for anyone that follows us on social media, and we're always posting with our blue blocking, um, blue light blocking glasses. Those are our Swanwick glasses. So oh, connecting yeah. the dots now. <laughs> I'm modeling, modeling them for you right now as well. I got my Very little nice. orange ones, and my 
clear lens ones. Which ones would you prefer I wear during oh, this? Are, These ones? I love those are pretty cool. Orange ones, but you know, you could change them every 15 minutes and that would be All right. great too. We'll do a fashion <laughs> show in the middle of this podcast. I love it. Perfect. Yeah, so do you want to talk really quick about the glasses that you're wearing? So it's morning for you. So what did you decide to put on? Yeah, so I, I uh, created a line of blue light blocking glasses that are named Swannies. And uh, we have an orange lensed pair of glasses, which I'm wearing now. And then we have a clearer lens uh, pair of uh, blue light blocking glasses, which I'm now, uh, which I'm wearing now. So for sleep, uh, to optimize your sleep, best to wear the orange lensed blue light blocking glasses at nighttime in the last kind of hour or hour and a half before you want to go to sleep at night. You remove them just before you roll over and, you know, close your eyes, of course, but best to wear the orange lensed glasses um, at nighttime because the orange lens blocks out the blue light that is responsible for keeping you alert and awake and for disrupting your melatonin production. And then during the daytime, you can also wear these orange lens glasses. There's no reason why you can't because that will block out a lot of the blue light from your computer screen and cell phones and iPads. Um, however, some people for daytime use like the, the clearer lens, um, which more kind of filters the blue light. It doesn't block as much blue light but it does filter um, a lot of the blue light. And, and in actual fact, during the daytime, it can give you clarity and focus and, and energy and reduce eye fatigue and fogginess and things like that. So um, I tend to go at nighttime. I'm always wearing the orange lens at daytime. I'm kind of going between the clear and the orange. So yeah, how do you know when to switch? Like, is there a certain amount of time that you spend? Is it just off of feel energy clarity? Yeah. So at nighttime, once I put these on, they do not come off until um, I've turned the last light off. Um, because just to just to explain, you know, for nighttime use, <clears throat> at nighttime when we're staring into a screen like I am right now, uh, or we're scrolling through our phone, then that blue light triggers our pituitary and pineal glands, and what that does is that it disrupts uh, and compromises our natural ability to create melatonin. And melatonin, of course, is a hormone that helps us fall asleep, helps us sleep well, helps us wake up in the morning feeling nice and refreshed. Um, what a lot of people mistakenly do is they put on a pair of blue light blocking glasses in the last hour before they go to sleep and they'll go, great, I'm blocking the blue light. I'm going to sleep great tonight. But then just before they go to bed, they'll take them off and they'll go and brush their teeth in the bathroom. And now the light is hitting their eyes again and now your body is going, what, what, is it daytime? Oh, okay, I'll stop producing melatonin. Uh, and then, of course, that's going to compromise your sleep. Um, so nighttime, when you put these bad boys on, keep them on and don't remove them until um, the, the, the final, uh, final light switch is, is gone off. I put mine on. I wear mine the last hour before I go to sleep. Gold standard really is put them on when the sun goes down, but no one does that. I don't do that. I'm the creator of it and I don't do that. Uh, I put them on for about an hour and that just works great for me. Now, during the daytime, I just go intermittently between wearing the clear lens glasses. Sometimes I'll put these on. Towards the end of the afternoon, I'll tend to put the orange ones on um, to block a bit more of the blue light because during, during the afternoon, I'm starting to get a bit tired and fatigued anyway just because... You know, I've expended a lot of glucose in my brain by that stage. Um, so, so yeah, I'll just move between those two during the day, but definitely orange yeah. at night. Yeah, I, maybe I am a weirdo because I actually put mine on at sunset. At least well, in the you're not a weirdo. Time. You're actually you're actually doing it the, <laughs> the perfect Smart way. One. Like that's yeah. that's actually like the best way to do it. Um, yeah. It's a lot it's easier just, in the summer than the winter. I will say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I bet timing. it is. Yeah. Yeah, so gold, you get five gold stars, actually, Renee, for that. Ooh. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> but now I need to get my daytime ones because I am on the computer a lot and I'm getting that extra blue light. So yeah. Yeah. My next I want the daytime hack. ones as well. But the nighttime ones have saved me. So James, I'm in a Broadway show, not currently because Broadway shut down. But when I'm doing the show, I'm under really bright stage lights for three and a half hours a night. So from 8 to 11 p.m., it's just like bright light, bright light. It is the opposite of what you want at nighttime. So I generally will put the glasses on when I'm backstage because I have like a really big break in act two. And I don't know if that's a bad idea because then I have to go back on stage and I get like a little bit more stimulation and just so, so stimulating and like jarring. But I'm just always trying to block as much as possible because I can't really get around the fact that I have to be on stage under the lights. 
So I yeah. love the nights when I'm not at the theater and I can put them on a little bit earlier, but yeah, I do think it, it helps to have them on as much as possible. Yeah, no, for sure. And if you think about it, how much artificial light are we exposed to during our lives at the moment? It's kind of insane, isn't it? It really and is. if we go Everywhere. back, I was watching a film recently. Um, it was about, I can't remember what it was called, but it was about um, Nicholas Tesla and Westinghouse and um, the creator of the light bulb, Edison, Thomas Edison, and how they were all competing to try and mass produce the light bulb. And it yeah. made me realize, or it um, made me think about how um, as soon as Edison mass produced the light bulb, and as soon as Westinghouse kind of lit up the, the World Expo Fair in Chicago and, 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 you know, light bulbs and artificial light was introduced to the world, that was kind of the beginning of where all our health problems started because now we're, we're staying up at, at nighttime um, and our melatonin production is now being compromised. And I know that light at night is a huge, is, you know, massive change in human history and, of course, we live by it and we have it and that's never going to change. But wow, like that was a really big creator of a heck of a lot of problems in, in life, in, in our health. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, we've also gotten more away from nature from that because, right, we're staying up later indoors with all these artificial lights. We're not outside getting fresh air. So you got to biohack it. That's why we love your, your Swannies. Well, it's crazy, isn't it, how we, how we say we have to biohack uh, our life. I mean, the natural way of doing things should just be we're outdoors during the day. We, we, when the sun goes down, we sit around a fire, we eat some food, we tell, share some stories, we connect, and then we fall asleep. And then we wake up as the sun rises the next morning. I mean, that's the natural way of doing things. It's crazy that we have to biohack in order to get back to what I consider to be just our natural way of life, right? Right, uh, right. The free, the free stuff that our ancestors did for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's insane. And people, um, you know, people are always amazed when they go camping and they go, "Wow, I slept so well when I went camping." I'm like, "Yeah, you know why? Because you didn't have any artificial light. You were like, you had a fire, because fire, flame, um, or candle light, or you know." does not disrupt melatonin production. So you can stare into a fire throughout the night and it, it does not suppress your melatonin production. But glance at an iPhone, man, you're just compromising your sleep. Yeah, I love to turn, candle, uh, turn on candles. I mean, uh, light candles in the evening. And I have an amber book light, which I love if I like to read. But I'm thinking of this past weekend, my parents went to, our parents went to a very small health conference and they lost power in the hotel. And so they were all meeting by candlelight. And there was this one woman running around with her blue light blockers on saying, I can't believe you guys don't have your blue light blockers when all there was was candlelight. Oh, that's funny. She I didn't, didn't hear quite that. get it. She still had the anxiety about the light. But there was no light. And no one had the blue light blockers on. They're like, it's just candlelight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. It's, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Like how our, our social, so how social conditioning has impacted us to just not know what's good for us and what's, what's bad for us. You know, like yeah, you it's, hear it is something once or twice and that must be true. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like the, the, the light bulb was mass produced at the turn of the century. So it's been around 120 years, let's say 110 years of sort of mass produced. And up until then, we just lived life by candlelight and, you know, by flame and, 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 and that was it. And then now fast forward to, to, you know, modern day and people are like, oh, you need to block the, the you need to block the flame with a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Yeah. I'm like, no, you don't. No. No. There's no. still so much confusion around it, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation in general. How do you guys sleep? How, how are you, how's your sleep, Renee and Lauren? Like, uh, and what are your nighttime practices with your, with your swan? I know, Renee, you said that you put them on when the sun goes down, but you know, how is your sleep in general? Yeah. I mean, I have the luxury with my schedule that I can do that. So, you know, at sunset, my blue blockers go on and I kind of just calm everything down, turn the lights down. And then I'm in bed at 10 and then I usually sleep nine hours. I'm, I'm like a professional sleeper, I think. Like I always get good deep sleep. I sleep through anything. You are Usually impressive. nine hours. Yeah. Yeah. I could like win a 
sleeping championship probably. Yeah. <laughs> and I am the opposite. I'm a dolphin. I'm a light sleeper. My brain is always like a little bit alert. So I am just on top of all of the sleep hacks. It doesn't help that when, uh, you know, when we're not in quarantine and I'm working and doing a show, I'm up late under the bright light. Like, it's not optimal for me. But mm. right now I'm able to turn all the lights down. I'm, I'm pretty strict about it. Like everything, everything's dark by 9 p.m. I have uh, my chili pad to cool my bed down. Like I try to do all the things, but I'm naturally not a deep, good sleeper. So yeah. all of those things. Well, you're a dolphin. Each other. Yeah. Like you said, James, do you know what sleep chronotype you are? Um, yeah, I, you know what? I haven't done this in a few years. Dr. Michael Bruce, who I think came up with, with this, I, I interviewed a few years ago. Um, I am the one who I exercise in the morning and I'm clear in the morning and that one, which one's that? Wolf? Um, it might be the wolf or the lion. I it can't might remember. be the wolf. It might be the wolf. Yeah. Or yeah. the lion. The, the wolf barely sleeps. Do you sleep a lot? No, I sleep okay. I, I mean, I mean, I, sorry, more than okay. I sleep very well. I sleep, you know, seven to eight hours every night. I've just been tracking it with my aura ring lately as well. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm sleeping at least seven hours. I put a high premium on my sleep quality. So I uh, have a dark, uh, blackened out room. Um, I wear my Swanic eye mask um, at nighttime to nice. even block out even any any kind of light that does get through. It's kind of oversized, so it sits over the top of my face. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, I'm blacking. I've got I blacking out the room. Obviously, uh, try to sleep in cool environment, sixty-five to sixty-eight degrees Fahrenheit, somewhere around there. Uh, in the morning, when I first wake up, I make sure that I go outside and expose myself to natural sunlight as early as possible because that. Our skin has receptors on it. And when the sunlight hits the skin, it tells our circadian rhythm, which is our internal body clock, this is wake-up time. My body starts to flood with you know, daytime hormones. And that 16 hours later, that's actually going to help me to fall asleep. So, so yeah, I, I, um, I put a high premium on my, my sleep quality and I, I, I do you know, the gold standard of sleep, so to speak, including wearing you know, blue light blocking glasses in the last hour before I sleep. Yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. Sleep is my number one priority. I'm like, don't mess with my sleep. <laughs> I'm the same. Don't come near me. Don't mess with me. I'm turning the lights down. I'm going to get the temperature that I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My husband will be like, let's start a movie. I'm like, oh, it's well, nine, it's nine o'clock. And he's like, how old are you? <laughs> like, it's too late. I'm the same. I'm like, can we read a book? <laughs> Yeah, we're super fun. No. Yeah. Ah, well, so gosh. on the sleep topic, I think this is a great segue into talking about alcohol because alcohol drastically affects your sleep. So do you want to kind of transition into all of your stuff about alcohol, your feelings about it and where you are in the world? Yeah, sure. So I haven't drunk since 2010. I wasn't an alcoholic. I was just a socially acceptable drinker. I'd have a couple of drinks at the end of the day just to wind down after a hard day's work. I might have a glass of wine and a beer, maybe a couple of glasses of red wine. Um, I rarely got drunk. I didn't really do anything stupid. I didn't wake up in a ditch or anything like that. It was just, you know, by society standards, I was just okay. It was every, my drinking was fine. But I realized after a number of years that, that my drinking was actually compromising many areas of my life. In fact, I woke up one morning in March of 2010. I was in Austin, Texas at the South by Southwest Festival. And uh, I'd had a couple of gin and tonics the night before at an industry party. I didn't get drunk. I just had two drinks, two Bombay Sapphire gin and tonics. But I woke up in this particular morning. I looked in the mirror and I was just, I just looked and felt weathered. You know, I had some dry skin and some crow's feet around and some wrinkles were more pronounced. I'd put on about 20 pounds. So I felt like my belly fat was hanging over my, um, my boxer shorts that I'd been sleeping in. I just kind of was like, blah. That's how I describe it, blah. You know, like a six, six out of 10 in my health, in my finances, in my energy, in my uh, romantic relationships, in uh, connection with people. And I remember I, I went next door to the hotel I was staying in to this IHOP, like International House of Pancakes. And I, and I sat there and I looked around me and there were some particularly unhealthy looking people eating all you can eat pancakes with maple syrup and whipped cream. And, and I was like, oh man, I just don't feel good. Like, what am I doing? And so I just committed to taking 30 days 
off alcohol just to see what it would feel like because I just felt kind of average. And so I did. And in 30 days, I lost 13 pounds. My skin improved. I slept better. At the time, I auditioned for uh, a job hosting a TV show at, um, on a pretty iconic show called Sports Center on ESPN. And I ended up getting the job. And I credit being alcohol free and the clarity and the focus and the energy that I had from being alcohol free with, with me actually getting that job. So that was a life changing experience for me. And at, um, you know, at the end of 30 days, I just felt so damn good. I thought, oh, I'll just keep going. Maybe I can do 40 days. Maybe I can get to 60 days. I kept going and kept going, kept going. And then uh, I got to a year. I was back at, at the 2011 South by Southwest Festival. And I went into a bar, which isn't there now, called um, the Luster Pearl on Rainy Street in Austin. And I went and ordered what I thought was going to be a one-year celebratory beer. And I, I ordered the Bud, it was a Bud Light, and I put it to my lips, and I was about to drink it. And it did smell good, to be honest with you. It smelled pretty good. But I was like, I paused for a moment. I said, well, hang on a second. In one year alcohol-free, I've lost about 30 pounds. I've started lifting weights. I've run a half marathon. I have a pretty growth-minded, healthy, conscious girlfriend who, who I've attracted. Um, hosting my dream job, Sports Center on, on ESPN. Um, I sleep really well. I got lots of energy. Uh, I've made more money. I feel better. I'm less stressed. I'm less anxious. I'm less irritable. Maybe I'll just keep going with this thing. I think I'll just keep going. So I literally put the beer back down. I said, actually, I'm not going to have it. I still had to pay for it, of course, but <laughs> I gave the beer back to him. I ordered a water ice and a piece of lime and squeezed the lime in. And I haven't drunk since. I haven't picked up an alcoholic drink since. And, and you know, it's been more than a decade now. And I can say confidently that I have experienced a life with alcohol and I've experienced a life without alcohol and a life without is far better. That's amazing. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. That's really, really yeah. inspiring. Thank you. And I think the main thing I really want to get across here to people is that you don't have to have what society would deem to be an alcoholic problem or an alcohol problem, like, oh, you're an alcoholic, in order for alcohol to be severely compromising the quality of your life. It's the seemingly innocent glass of wine at the end of the day that you think is just like, oh, just to relax, right? You don't need to be waking up in a ditch or getting arrested or drunk driving or getting a DUI or anything like that for alcohol to be costing you literally hundreds of thousands of dollars a year if you're a business owner, costing you tens of thousands of dollars a year if you're in a job, costing you your health, your looks, your relationships, your connection. And I'll, I'll, I'll just elaborate on that if I may when you have one seemingly innocent glass of wine at the end of the day then it compromises your sleep quality and when your sleep quality is compromised you wake up just a little bit irritable and foggy and when you're just a little bit irritable and foggy you don't make that additional sales call if you own a business and that additional sales call could lead to five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars in revenue or you turn up to work just five minutes late and now your boss notices and you go, oh, you're five minutes late. And so now your chances of getting a promotion decrease. You're just a little bit snappy with your, with your husband or your wife or your kids. And now relationships start to feel a little bit strained. And because your relationships are a little bit strained, you start to seek comfort in some food that you ordinarily wouldn't eat, like a Kit Kat from the vending machine or a Gatorade or a packet of chips or whatever. And now because you have a packet of chips or a Gatorade or the Kit Kat, you're putting on just a little bit extra weight that you don't really want around your hips or your shoulders or your back or your belly. And then because you have that little bit of extra weight, you start to feel less confident. And because you're less confident, you don't take as many risks. And because you don't take as many risks, you stay stuck. And because you stay stuck, you start to find comfort in another glass of wine or a second glass of wine or a third glass of wine. And this perpetual cycle just continues. It's this vicious cycle. And it's all because of this seemingly innocent glass of wine or beer or vodka or gin or whatever it is at the end of the day that you think is okay because everybody does it. And it's just what you do to relax. But an actual fact is just cost you a hundred thousand dollars in revenue this year. It's cost you your marriage. It's cost you connection with your kid. It's cost you a promotion in your job. It's cost you your looks, your confidence, your health. And it's like this silent killer that's just very slowly and almost in an invisible manner, just chip, chip, chipping away at your happiness. 
So I just invite people to just start exploring the idea. Is this seemingly innocent drink really serving me or is it actually holding me back in my, in my life? Yeah. I mean, it's a poison no matter what the dose, right? And this really speaks to me because I'm sensitive. I don't metabolize it well. And I do not feel good when I even have one drink. I, and I, I get all of that. I wake up the next morning and I'm just a little less motivated, but my head was kind of reeling as you were talking through that. I'm thinking about all of these like super people that can just like slam their bodies with alcohol, get four hours of sleep and seemingly like be okay the next day. But you know, when I think a little bit deeper, are they meeting their potential? Are they really like getting ahead in life and achieving all of their goals? Probably not. But me as like a, a very sensitive metabolizer of alcohol, I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I could be that person that could just like wake up the next morning and I'm not. Like I feel it. I feel it after one. Yeah, me too. And actually James at uh, Paleo Effects last year, 2019, I was kind of feeling, you know, kind of like you said, like I was just having one drink on this night out and one drink here, one drink there. It didn't seem like a big problem, but I was starting to notice I wasn't feeling great. And at Paleo Effects, I found your book, the No Alcohol Challenge book. And like, it just like was screaming at me. It was like, please buy this and read it. And I took that as a sign. And then when I got home from Paleo FX, I did the 30 days. Um, and I have to say for anyone that's looking to try something like this, like you, I do recommend having a community, having the education. And James, your 30-day program is great because you're not just saying, I'm not having alcohol. You're like, well, what do you say to your friends? What do you order when you go to the bar? Like you give such great practical tips um, and then the Facebook community is amazing. When you hear these testimonials, similar to yours, James, where they're like, I just did 30 days and it turned into a year or two years. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, this program, the 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge, uh, it's helped about 20,000 people um, quit drinking for at least 30 days now. Um, and, you know, look, it's a great first step into what it feels like to live the alcohol-free lifestyle. I have a, 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 another program now, which is named Project 90, which is, which is 90 days, which is more for like the business owner, entrepreneur, top professional, professional a, a peak performer who, whose drinking is getting in the way of them performing at their peak. Um, and that is more of a, a fundamental commitment to really living the alcohol-free lifestyle rather than like, oh, I'm going to do 30 days, quit alcohol, and then go back to drinking. This is more like, I'm going to do 90 days, get complete power over my drinking. And then from there, possibly just quit for good, or maybe just drink on occasion. I, you know, I was just talking to someone about an hour ago who just graduated from her 90 days. Um, her name's Wister and she lives in Montana and she has a small small ranch there and she was crying on the phone uh, and I'll just share what she was saying just because I think it's, it's interesting the transformation that people make. Um, I'm just looking at my notes here. She said that when she started, when she in, in, enrolled in the 90 day program, when she enrolled in, in terms of like stopping drinking, she had had a generational culture of alcohol in her family, her father, her grandfather, her grandmother, they weren't alcoholics, but they drank a lot. And, her, and she, her herself, was feeling um, stressed, depressed. She was living under a shroud of anxiety and depression. She couldn't even make goals for herself. She felt so awful. And then when I um, spoke to her an hour ago, she was like 95 days since she'd had a drink. She was saying, I just feel phenomenal. Uh, I have had a shift in the brain. I'm sleeping better than I've ever slept. I'm energetic. I'm just so happy. I have, I have goals and I'm going to hit them. Uh, what else is she saying? Yeah. So you can, like, you can really see like people don't really even identify that alcohol is the culprit, right? Because they're just, they're just having these two or three glasses of wine or whatever at the end of the day, thinking that it's normal and society is telling them that it's normal. It's only when we actually give them a hard stop, right? And we just remove that that all of a sudden their natural self can, can shine through and all of a sudden stress and anxiety drops, depression drops, possibility opens, clarity and focus and good night's sleep and good nutrition and exercise and energy. 
all of that stuff is able to, to just shine through. So thank you for your feedback, Renee, on the 30-day challenge, which is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, people have been getting a glimpse of what it feels like. In my, in my opinion, in order to really get control over it, one must go, get to about 90 consecutive days without it first. And from there, you can powerfully choose whatever you want to choose. Because the danger is you do 30 days, you celebrate with a drink, your slippery slope gets you, then you do 30 mm-hmm. days on, off. Now you're doing like a dry July or a sober October and you're just doing it like once or twice a year. It's not really ingrained in your brain as a lifestyle. That makes sense. The 90 days would really ingrain the lifestyle piece. And I have to say for me, something that has been really helpful is, is my aura ring. Um, so like you said, a lot of people aren't connecting what the alcohol is doing to them. A big connector for me was to see the data, to see my HRV drop, to see my resting heart rate elevate, to see my sleep score just plummet. Same. So I'm, I can I, go and look at my trends and go, oh, alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. It's, I don't even have to look at notes that I made. I can just see clear as day. Yeah. So it's Everything pretty motivating. Yeah. You want to get that good score and you want to feel your best. So I think the aura ring is kind of helpful. Yeah. So helpful. We have the most common thing that we see um, from people who, who quit alcohol through one of my programs is a drop in blood pressure. So we see we see blood pressure drops, um, resting heart rate drops, uh, weight loss. On average, it's about 15 to 18 pounds are lost over 90 days um, from from people who take the take the the, the program. So they're the they're the things that you can track. Oh, and sleep sleep quality as well. People go, well, I've just I've never slept slept better. Like it, that's pretty incredible. And you're right, Renee. You can track it with your aura ring. I'm wearing mine now. I track mine. And tracking just in general is so powerful. I'm actually I've set the goal for myself for the rest of the year to be able to touch my toes without, you know, straining myself because I, I I've been working on my flexibility for the past three weeks because I've been a bit stiff in the last couple of years. And finally, I, I hired a personal trainer to stretch me. And the personal trainer said, you can just do this on your own at home. And I said, yeah, I know I can, but I won't. So I'm going to pay you to actually do it for me. He's like, okay. And so I've been going now for two and a half weeks. And the other day I was in there going, oh, I don't really feel like I'm making much progress. But then I took a photo at the end of the session. And, I, and I'd taken a photo of me at the beginning of the session. Oh, sorry, two weeks earlier before, when I first started. Um, and I saw noticeable progress and all of a sudden I was just so energized again. Like I'll show you here on the screen. This is when I started. You can see I can barely Mm -hmm. touch my toes. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks later, now I'm like uh, almost touching my toes. You can see there's a difference there. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, I'm barely, I I can't even get to my toes and then whoops, (laughs) if I move over there, I'm almost touching my toes. That's in two weeks. Yeah. In two weeks. That's incredible. So I think, you know, when you track your sleep with your aura ring or you get on the scales and you take a photo of your weight on day one and then you take a photo of your weight on day 30, like that is really motivating. You know, that keeps you on track. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's too easy to just be like, I don't know. I don't know if I feel different, you know, but when you actually are looking at the data, it's like smacking you in the face. Yeah, you could wake up and say, I feel fine. I get through my day, but... James, I was really blown away how you really bring like money into it, financial gain to it. You're like five minutes late for work. That could be costing you hundreds of thousands of dollars. We don't think that far, but you know, when you really break it down, just a small amount can, can multiply so quickly. Yeah. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm spending this much money on alcohol. Like my bar tabs are adding up, but right. They forget about the lost money, which is yeah, time and energy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're focused on what they're actually, you know, spending on alcohol, but they're not thinking about what they're not generating because of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's what the really eye-opening thing for most people. We, I have a quiz online that people take, and it's called the ALRC, Alcohol Loss Revenue Calculator. And it essentially, for business owners mostly and entrepreneurs, you can just answer like eight or nine questions and at the end it'll spit out a number and it will tell you how much your drinking is costing you per month and per year. And when people take it, they are shocked because often the figure turns out to be like $50,000, $75,000, $100,000, $17,000. Like people are like, whoa. So I always say it doesn't like maybe you spend $6,000 on alcohol throughout the year or alcohol related activities because 
think about alcohol related activities, right? So you're not just spending the money on the alcohol, but now you're spending money on the Ubers to get home or maybe you're, mm-hmm. um, you're spending money on the additional, on the dessert that you ordinarily wouldn't order because, uh, at the restaurant. But because you've got mm-hmm. some alcohol in you, you're feeling pretty good and like, yeah, let's have some dessert. Uh, then, of course, if, if let's just say that you're, you're hungover or you're tired, um, maybe you phone in work the next day and say, I'm not turning up. And maybe if you get paid by the hour, all of a sudden you, you, you're, not, you're not generating money. Um, maybe you get sick because you run down from drinking. And so now you've got to go to the, to the pharmacy and buy cold and flu tablets and cleat and tissues and, and like all that kind of stuff. And then like you start to drink some more green juices to try and feel better. You're buying some vitamin C. I remember I was sick one day. I went down to the pharmacy to a Rite Aid there on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood when I was living in West Hollywood. I remember forking out like 150 bucks over a couple of days just on like, I was like, I need vitamin C. I need green supplements. I need cold and flu. T- I need something because I just don't want to feel sick anymore. And you, you got to factor all of those prices in as well, right? Like, like, yeah, it's very then, expensive. I'm the same way. I used to spend so much money getting supplements, all the fluids. So I just started, I'm not going to get sick anymore. <laughs> it's too expensive. Yeah. Hey, biohackers, Renee here. Since we're talking about sleep today, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite biohacks for optimizing sleep, and it's CBD oil. I know CBD oil is all the rage, it's everywhere nowadays, but I have to say, over the years, I have tried so many different products, different brands, gummies, tinctures, you name it, I tried it, and so often I didn't see a difference in my data, and I didn't feel a difference. So I was like, maybe this stuff doesn't work. But then I came across a company called Recover, and I tried their CBD Calm Tincture, and I noticed an increase in deep sleep immediately. I could see it on my aura ring and I would also wake up feeling more rested. I also really love this specific tincture because they combine not only the organic full spectrum hemp extract, but they combine it with chamomile tea extract, valerian root, and spearmint. So it's got a really nice combination to take before bed. The really cool thing is this company also has two other products. They have a capsule form if you're interested and then they have a topical cream which is really nice for aches and pains. I also really love this company because they are using all organic ingredients and they're safely sourcing everything, which is a really big concern when you're looking at most CBD products. So be really careful of all the junk products out there. Don't just like run out to your local store or search online for a CBD. You want to make sure it's a really high quality product before you try it out. So if you're interested in trying Recover, you can check out the link in our show notes to their website. It's Recover RCVR. And if you use code BiohackerBabe, you actually get 20% off. So I hope you get to try the product out and I would love to hear your experience. Sleep well. Yeah. It's expensive. Drinking is drinking's expensive. Not just what you spend on alcohol, but what you're not making as well. Because like if you're, if you're, well, there's a lot of realtors as well who, who make immense progress in, um, my project 90 program because they, their, their whole livelihood is based on sales commissions. And if they're operating at a six or a seven out of 10 and they generate a, you know, that's generating them say 50 leads a month, 50 prospects a month. Well, how many, and then, you know, they've done the math and 50 prospects a month equals one sale a month. Right. Well, all you got to do is just, increase your clarity and energy and focus by not drinking to, and then all of a sudden you're operating at an eight or a nine out of 10. And now you have let's say 75 prospects, right? Instead of 50. And now you close, let's say one and a half sales. Like let's just say you sell you double your sales or, you know, over the course of a year, you make six more sales. Let's just say six more sales per year. And if it, and if a commission to you is worth $15,000, which is what it often is for a realtor, well, you do the math, right? Now you're looking at $90,000 in additional income just because you didn't have that nightly glass of wine, right? Mm-hmm. And because now you're operating in an eight or a nine out of 10. It's kind of insane. What could you do with another another $70,000, $90,000? It's like, yeah, but they'll go, crazy. oh, but I only drink, I only spend $5,000 on alcohol. Yeah, but you didn't make $90,000 when you could have. Right. That's crazy. And that's, I think that's really fitting for the times right now because- I think when I checked back in April, it was like alcohol sales in the U.S. were up 400%. But then people are unemployed. They're complaining. They're not getting paid by unemployment. They're losing that $600 a week benefit. And I'm like, but you're drinking every night. 
Um, it's yeah. trying it's, to deal with their anxiety, just thinking more and more. It's insanity to yeah. me. I mean, I, I think that, yeah, uh, the, the, look, the, the whole world, in my opinion, has the whole world's view on alcohol is completely out of whack in, in my view. I mean, uh, what is alcohol? I'll tell you what it is. It's attractively packaged poison. That's all it is. It's attractively yeah. packaged poison. And, you know, the, the conditioning, the social conditioning starts when you're a little girl or you're a little boy, when your parents say, oh, you can't have a drink. You can have a drink when you're older. And now you're like, oh, well, great. It's a rite of passage. Great. I'll be able to get to the point where I'll be able to have a drink. I went to my niece's um, uh, 18th birthday party with my extended family just last weekend here in Brisbane, Australia, where I am. Her name's Alice. And I remember when she was born, I've seen her grow up and she's just always been this little girl and now, you know, teenage girl. But anyway, it's her 18th birthday party and I walked into um, her aunt's place and, and, and my mum was there and fam- extended family were there and she was standing there drinking a glass of wine. And I was like, what are you, like, it was just shocking to me. I'm like, this is little Alice and there she is drinking wine. And I've gone, oh, of course, well, she's allowed to drink wine. She's 18. And she was just, all of a sudden, she was like an adult where I'd, I'd seen her all these years just as a child. And now she's an adult, just, you know, having a conversation with me, no longer calling me uncle James, calling me James and drinking wine. And I'm like, man, this, this social conditioning is real. Like you think about everything that's happened in her life and what she's seen in her parents and extended family and drinking and how it's been normalized to the point where now it's on her 18th birthday. Oh, of course she's going to drink this attractively packaged poison. I'm like, in my mind, I was just thinking, why? why would you even begin to drink this crap? Like, well, it's like, uh, it's that forbidden drink. I mean, all through enticing, right? In high school and college, sometimes I would drink just because I could get my hands on it. Like it didn't make any sense, but it was like this forbidden thing. Just made it more attractive. Yeah. And I don't know any 21 year olds that or any young people that turn 21 and say, should I drink? It's always like, Oh yes, now I can. There's no thought process. There's no choice. It's just like and zero to a hundred. Yeah. I call them, I call people um, smiling assassins. It's the, the people who are smiling as they're offering you their, their, their drink, right? So it's the host who greets you at the party. Hi, Renee. Hi, Lauren. Can I get, can I grab you a drink and champagne, wine? Right. They're smiling, right, right. but they're killing you, right? It's the waiter or the waitress, <laughs> right? If I, if I was able to share my screen, I'd show you a couple of uh, images here of some smiling assassins. If, but yeah, think about the waitress or the waiter who greets you at the restaurant. And what do they mostly say? They go, oh, hello, welcome. Have you got a reservation? Yeah, my name's Swanick. Great. Oh, your table's not quite ready, sir. Uh, but would you like to go and have a drink at the bar and we'll send your waiter over when your table's ready? Oh, okay, great. So we just go over there and now all of a sudden you're ordering some attractively packaged poison. Let me just show you here. There we go. I'll share the screen. So smiling assassins. Here we go. Here's a lovely waitress. She looks very nice. Can I please, can I get you a glass of attractively packaged poison? Here's the waiter. Hello, sir. Hello, ma'am. May I get you a glass of attractively packaged poison? Oh, you know what? Let's just go to the bar. Oh, look at these people. They're all smiling and having such a wonderful time drinking their beer and their wine and the champagne. And it creates this illusion that this is just what you do to connect and bond. And then marketing like or like showing attractive men and women seductively looking at each other with a bottle of glass wine and implies that you need wine to create romance or you need to drink Bud Light with the guys in order to feel like you're part of the tribe or you need to drink champagne in order to celebrate with a glass of with fireworks and champagne and you need to be cool like Jay-Z like everyone drinks this very clever marketers came up with this right one day someone was like how are we going to sell this champagne product Ugh, it's crap, isn't it? Yeah, but how are we, how are we going to market it to people? Ah, let's try celebration. What about if we associate champagne with celebration? Yeah, let's do that. And we'll put it in a big fancy bottle. We'll put a cork on it and then we'll create this whole kind of like uh, ceremony around like shaking the bottle and popping it up and people going woo at the sound and smiling and then we'll pour it into the glass. And you know what we'll do for weddings? We'll make sure that like when you toast the bride and groom, we'll have everyone like we'll make a thing where you've got to toast them with a glass of champagne. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Champagne celebration. That's what they, that's how it happened. It's not because you drink it and you go, oh, I really want to celebrate. 
You drink it because a clever marketer and society and smiling assassins are telling you that that's what you do. And it's ridiculous. Wake up. Yeah. Is what I say. It becomes so ritualized. I hate champagne. I hate when they do that. I'm like waiting for the moment for people to turn around so I can put it down because I don't want to drink it. But I've heard you talk about how the host of a party doesn't necessarily want you to drink. They just want you to have fun. Can you talk about like the psychology of that? So when people ask me, how do I socialize without alcohol? Because one of the biggest fears is that people will judge them if they're not drinking, that people will think that they're a killjoy if they're not drinking, that people will think that they've got a problem or that they're somehow depriving the party of fun because they're not drinking. And I get it, right? It's deeply ingrained in our brains that we want to fit in and we want to you know, be liked and, and you know, we don't want to go against the grain, so to speak. But what I say to people is that um, the way in which you communicate to people that you're not drinking is far more important than the words that come out of your mouth. So to be clear, influencing people comes down to only 7% what you say and 93% of how you say it. Okay, mm -hmm. so having a conversation, influencing people, persuading people is only 7% of what you say. 93% of how you say it. So if we understand that, and the neuroscience tells us that, if you go into a party and someone says, oh, can I get you a drink? And you in a very kind of dark, depressing, embarrassed kind of, oh, no, thanks, sorry, I'm doing this funny Aussie guys Project 90 program at the moment and I'm on day 27, I've still got 60 days to go. And then, of course, the host is going to be like, oh, go on, just have one. <laughs> Go on, but it's my birthday. We're celebrating. Oh, yeah, you have oh, to have yeah. one on my birthday. Like, why? <laughs> you have to have one on my birthday. And if you're going, oh, yeah, oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, I know I should. Then they go, go on, just have one. All right, go, all right, I'll just have one. It's right? an opportunity to be convinced. Yeah. And by the way, just as a little caveat, alcohol is the only drug where you need to justify why you're not consuming it. Very true. Think about it. So yeah. if you're, you are bringing that dark, depressing energy, almost like you're, you, you're basically telling your friend or your host, right? And you're telling yourself on an unconscious level that you are depriving yourself of something fun, desirable, and pleasurable. Alcohol is not fun, desirable, and pleasurable. It's crap. It's piss, right? It's toxins. It's poison. It's just culture thinks has, cre has created this belief that it is. Now, if you, if you go to the same party and your friend's like, oh, can I get you a drink? Can I get you a thing? And, and instead your energy is like, oh, no, I'm great. Can I grab a, um, I'll have a soda water. That'd be great, thanks. If they press you, then, th then they might, first of all, they'll be less likely to, to say, go on, what, it's my birthday. But in the unlikely event that they do, you just say, oh, no, I'm good. I'm going to get drunk on this soda water tonight. Let's have fun. I'm going to swing from the rafters. I, or you just say the truth. It's like, ah, oh, no, I'm just not drinking at the moment. I'm, I'm good. I might, even, I, might even just, I might even be done. Could be done with drinking, actually. So, yeah, you got any soda water? And you see how I'm saying that, not in a like, a, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I can't have fun. But in a, oh, yeah, no, I'm not drinking. Yeah, I'll just take soda water. Let's have fun. Make fun of yourself. I'm going to get drunk on this soda water tonight all of a sudden the pressure is just dropped your friend or the host or friends who are encouraging you to drink or wanting you to drink. They don't really want you to drink. They just want you to have a good time and they want to ensure that they're having a good time and you threaten them having a good time. If you're like, Oh, I should be having a good time, but I can't cause I'm not drinking. Right. People really don't care if you drink or not. This is one of the big, breakthrough insights that people have when they go through project 90 or 30 day no alcohol challenge people don't care nearly as much as you think they care if at all they just care that you're fun you're cool you're light that you're not sapping them of their fun that they don't have to watch over you they don't have to feel bad that they're drinking in front of you nobody wants that mm -hmm. so just be cool like fonzie from happy days you know yeah or, yeah or like george clooney you know, he's got a little grin here and smile. Like imagine someone, imagine someone offering George Clooney a drink. Say, Hey, can I get you a wine? And he says, Oh no, I'm great. Soda water. Are you really going to go? Oh, come on, George Clooney. What are you <laughs> mess with that face. 
No, definitely. <laughs> no, I would not pressure him. <laughs> My best friend is like the perfect example. She's never drank. She's never had a drop in her life. And she is the most fun person. And she's a mom with two kids now with her day. Like she would be the first person to be like dancing on the table, like riling everybody up, like never needed anything. And just so much fun. I'm like, it's possible. Look at that. <laughs> no one's ever accused me of being dull. And I haven't drunk for 10 and a half years. So yeah, you're right, yeah. Lauren. Like I'm sure your friend, uh, in my opinion, you can have the most fun without alcohol because you not only have you got energy and clarity and, and to dance and to do stuff or whatever it is you want to do, you have great, interesting, deep conversations. When you're drinking, they tend to be more trivial surface level conversations. And the good thing is when you're drinking soda water or water or sparkling water, or whatever it is that you're drinking, just a warning, you do get better looking when you don't drink alcohol, you do get better looking when you drink lots of water because your body's largest organ is your skin. And when you are um, feeding your skin nice water or sparkling water, it has a nice glow to it. You can't reverse the aging process, but you can slow it down. And so, you know, you've got energy to dance and have fun and be joyful. And at the same time, you're getting better looking. And the same time you wake up in the morning and you've got a full day ahead of you as opposed to someone else who drags their ass out of bed. So I don't know. It yeah. seems pretty obvious to me, but I appreciate that society hasn't, as a whole, hasn't quite caught up yet. Can Hopefully there's that. a movement there. And James, maybe you can share like a few celebrities that don't drink. Because I think, again, it's that society thought that, well, everyone drinks. And I know a yeah. lot of female celebrities, like you said, you look better and maybe that's their motivation as to why they don't drink, but maybe yeah. you can ramble off a few names. Yeah. Warren Buffett, world's greatest investor, billionaire, doesn't drink. Jennifer Lopez uh, doesn't drink. The billionaire uh, Larry Ellison doesn't drink. Uh, Oscar winner Natalie Portman uh, doesn't drink. The president of the United States, Donald Trump, um, has never drunk any alcohol. His brother actually died of alcoholism. Uh, Shana Twain uh, doesn't drink. Tyra Banks doesn't drink. Ronaldo, the very famous soccer player, uh, doesn't drink. Kristen Davis from Sex in the City uh, doesn't drink. Uh, Bradley Cooper, the actor, doesn't drink. In fact, I, I used to be a film journalist back in the day. I was a Hollywood correspondent. And I lived in Hollywood. I interviewed movie stars and I recall interviewing Bradley Cooper when he was promoting the film The Hangover at the end of the 2000s. I was at the um, SLS Hotel in uh, Beverly Hills in Los Angeles and I was drinking at the time. I, was, I hadn't quit at that stage and I remember asking him, you know, what's your drink of choice? You know, what are you drinking? He goes, oh, I don't drink. I stopped drinking. And I was like, what? And the internal dialogue in my brain was, this doesn't seem like a guy I'd want to hang out with. And I was always so skeptical of people who didn't drink. And later on, I found out that Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, didn't drink either. And I was like, ugh, he doesn't sound like my kind of guy. Sounds like a bit of a wuss, you know? I come up, grew up in an Australian alpha male kind of thing where guys drink beer and eat steak and that kind of, that kind of bravado nonsense. And I remember judging Bradley Cooper. I'm like, Bradley Cooper doesn't, Like, and then, you know, now that I've seen the light and I've lived the life of alcohol free for more than a decade now, I go, who the heck am I to judge Bradley Cooper? Damn. Like that guy's super successful. He's like, you know, he's, it for sure. he's yeah. dates supermodels or whatever, you know, like travels the world. He's a creative genius, um, makes amazing films as a director, um, has got a body that most men would dream of having and most women drool over and just, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I only connected with him for 20 minutes. It was a 20 minute interview. So I can't speak to whether he's a great guy or not. He's, you know, he's very pleasant and nice to me when I interviewed him, but like how ridiculous that I was judging him for his choice not to drink. Right. And that's what most people are doing in life because of this yeah. cultural conditioning and this social conditioning. It's, it's insanity. I assume that we jump to that judgment because it makes us feel better about our own choices. Right. Yeah. For sure. I no think one wants to whether it's alone in whatever it is that they're doing. So if you're drinking alone, that could feel lonely. Yeah, uh, I get it. Like alcohol is uh, definitely, it can feel like a relationship that you're in. And so the idea of not drinking again feels like you're breaking up with someone. And so even though you know it's not good for you, it be also becomes like a comfort because it's what you've always known. 
I think yeah. of people who stay yeah. in um, relationships too long. They know they shouldn't be in, but there's a, almost like a comfort to it. They're too scared of the unknown. And so alcohol becomes like this trusted friend that's there for you at the end of the day. And that makes you not feel as isolated or as lonely. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. But it's a, still a crappy relationship. Nonetheless, it's still really, really bad yeah. for you. And you have it's to toxic. break up. Yeah, you got to break up with alcohol. You're right, Renee. It's a toxic relationship. And really, when you're drinking alcohol at the end of the day, all you're doing is numbing problems. Like you're kicking the can down the road. You, you're, you're putting a Band-Aid over something that needs salt water and fresh air right? Like you, you're, you're just masking the problem. And I'll, and I'll tell you this, when people do project 90, which is the 90 day quit drinking program, I, I referenced before a lot of people say, um, the real work, um, begins when you're alcohol free, because all of a sudden now you're dealing with all this stuff that you've been suppressing for years, like childhood. I don't, I don't want to say trauma, but like, um, you know, all of a sudden now you start focusing on relationships that you've had with your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or your kids or your husband or your wife or, the, you know, someone said something to you when you were a little kid when age seven years old and you made it mean something and your whole life has been affected by that. Like you start to look at those kind of things, right? You start to really dive deep into self-development work when you remove the masking agent of alcohol. So I get it's tough to let go. But when you do, you know, it, will, it might feel like you're running through rose bushes in the beginning, but then when you get on the other side of the rose bushes and you're all cut up and bloody and stuff, you're like, oh, it's beautiful on the other side. Yeah. I mean, it's a journey of growth, right? Anytime you're growing, it might be painful, but you come out the other side happier and stronger. Well, that's where the most growth is, you know, like you got to lean, in, lean into the discomfort. Yeah. And here's the thing. You don't have to rely on brute willpower to do it either. A lot of people think they can do it with brute willpower, but all the studies show that willpower has less than a 10% success rate as it relates to alcohol. It's the most addictive drug in the world, by the way. Like it's, it's highly addictive. And by the way, Alcoholics Anonymous has less than a 7% success rate. And not, not many people know that. Because, you know, wow. people think, oh, man, AA, I'll have to do AA. And, of course, that's a last resort for people because uh, no one really wants to go to AA because who wants to stand in front of a group of people and go, hi, my name's Renee and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm a, like, and chances are you're probably not an alcoholic. You just drink too much, right? AA has a, has a reported 7% actual success rate. Has it helped millions of people over decades? Yes. Has it failed tens of millions of people or 10 times as many people the answer is yes. Maybe it failed is too hard a word. It ha- it's been ineffective for, 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 you know, 12 times as many people. So people think AA is the answer. It's not. People think willpower is the answer. It's not. The, the, most, the, the, the five things that I found that have, have worked have been community, uh, coaching, accountability, uh, making sure it's fun. And then in just investing in yourself, whether that's time or money on a coach or a program, those five things is what, is what really transforms people. So coaching, accountability, being in a community of like-minded people, making sure it's as fun and as light and as easy as possible. Because think about AA, it's like dark, depressing, and you, know, you feel like you're in a prison, yeah, right? And what not prison, sound what like prison fun. Do. <laughs> do you think that's the main factor behind the failed success rate? Of AA? Yeah. I've never been, uh, but I, I think certainly don't want to think, step into one of those rooms. Yeah, I think is I think is the two main reasons are because it's dark and depressing and it's free. So the, the fact that it's yeah. dark and depressing, it keeps you in shame, it keeps you in victimhood, and you feel like you're in a prison. So it feels like you're saying no to alcohol as opposed to yes to living the alcohol-free lifestyle. Mm. And when you feel like you're depriving yourself of something that ordinarily under normal circumstances you would be partaking in, then you feel like you're in a prison and all prisoners want to break out of prison. And so you're just waiting for the time to break out of prison where you can go and have a drink. And then all of a sudden you're on the slippery slope. Nobody wants to go and sit in a room and, and feel that way right um the other thing is is that it's free and in my opinion free just doesn't work because here's the thing you you can actually there's a hundred thousand free videos on youtube on how to invest in the stock market how to lose weight how to attract the partner of your dreams how to quit alcohol 
people watch it, but they still don't do it because they don't value it. Your energy flows where your money goes. And so just if I use the example of me hiring the personal trainer to stretch me, I can stretch myself, but I don't. So I pay a coach. I'm paying attention, right? Like when I invest yeah. in myself, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm essentially demonstrating what I value and that's where I'm putting my energy. The moment that I paid that guy to stretch me was the moment that I was showing up. I'd get in my car, I'd drive to his gym, I'd go in there, he stretches me, I'd drive home because I paid for it. Where if it's free, I might just say, ah, I'm not coming today. Stuff's come up. Sure. Yeah, you don't want to waste the money. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's always value. Actually, I will share, I went to an AA meeting one time in college and it was awful. I sat in the room and I listened to people and people were you know, sharing they're also addicted to drugs and smoking cigarettes. And I sat there and I was like, I don't belong here. Like you said, James, like maybe I wasn't an alcoholic. I just felt like I was drinking too much. And it was, it was very depressing and negative. So I never went back, but that was my experience. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your experience. Look, here's the thing. I, I, I run Facebook ads promoting my quit drinking programs and I get absolutely abused by people who are in AA, which is, which is hilarious or not hilarious, but it's fascinating to me because one of the things in the big book, which is the kind of like the Bible for AA is they say, we don't argue against anyone or anything. And like, we don't comment on other ways of quitting drinking, you know, that we've stopped fighting anything or anyone that's part of the doctrine. And yet the people who criticize and, and, you know, write nasty messages are all the ones saying, I've been in AA for 10 years and blah, 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 it saved my life. And what you're, you're a snake oil salesman and you're an awful person. I can't believe you're charging to help people. You should be ashamed of yourself. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And oh, look, I, I don't want to just completely bash AA. All I, all I really want to say is if you just do your own research and if you just Google AA actual success rate and you type in The Atlantic, which was a, a, a magazine that did a story on this um, some years ago, you'll see what the actual success rate is. So um, don't take my word for it. Do your own research. It, it has less than a 7% um, success rate, um, and it's steeped in negativity and shame. And I suspect, although I can't say definitively, I suspect that most people who go there are not alcoholics. I don't think they have chemical dependencies on it. I just think that they drink too much and with a couple of like being, um, um, having fun and being um, inspired and living aspirational uh, lives and taking, you know, aspirational steps versus like, I have to surrender to this disease. I have to surrender to this higher power. Like, I don't know. I like yeah. best not get me started on it anymore <laughs> because I'll probably go a bit too, too dark with too dark with it. But just by comparison, my way of doing things has an 87% success rate of getting people to 90 consecutive days alcohol-free on their first attempt and an almost 100% success rate on getting them there on no more than their third attempt. So I have had a handful of people over the years not make it. That just happens. But I am yet to find a better system than coaching, accountability, community, fun and investing in yourself. Well, kudos to you for finding or developing a program that has that high of a success rate. I can't believe people from AA would bash you when you're doing something that's working and helping people. So kudos to you. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate they feel that. Threatened. I, they feel threatened. That's all. You're doing amazing things. Thank you. I appreciate it, Lauren and Renee. Yeah. yeah. So we want to send people to your resources and your book, obviously, but could you share with our audience one piece of advice that they could start incorporating or thinking about today in this moment? In relation to alcohol or anything? Anything. Oh, anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's two things that I tend to live by more than, more than others. And it's, it's, it's six words, two different phrases, but six words. The first is just do it. And the second is do it now. So, uh, I don't always get this <clears throat> right, by the way. I'm human and make mistakes as well. And sometimes I procrastinate as much as the next person. 
but I tend to more often than not go just do it. Like anything that I, I that I'm feeling compelled to do, I'm like just do it, just do it, just do it, and then I'll do it. And then the next part of that is do it now, do it now, do it now. Um, and even though I say that, and it sounds profound, and you'll go, oh wow, that James Swanick's such an impressive guy. Just do it and do it now. I'm going to do that. I still don't do it now <laughs> at times. Um, but often, more often than not, I do do it now in the moment. And that has enabled me to get into momentum, which has enabled me to make change, which enabled me to make progress, which has enabled me to make breakthroughs, which has enabled me to transform many areas of my life. So I would say just do it and do it now. Awesome. Do it now. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. This has been very inspirational and very educational and we're going to send everyone to your resources. Can you just tell our audience where they can find you? Yeah, thank you. If you want to take a baby step into, you know, quitting drinking, I'll give you a, a couple of URLs here. So if you want to just do a little three day, if th if the idea of 30 days is like so overwhelming for you and you just want to start with three days, just go to jameswanick.com slash three day challenge be a little 72 hour challenge there for you. I'll give you a few, few free videos. If you want to uh, try the 30 day challenge, 30 day, no alcohol challenge.com. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, business owner, realtor, top professional, and you you know, maybe you're making already making six figures and you want to make a lot more than that. Um, and you realize that alcohol is slowing you down. Then project 90 might be appropriate for you. Uh, in which case you can go to jameswanick.com slash project 90. Uh, and then if you're interested in the Swannies blue light blocking glasses, you can go to swanwicksleep.com, S-W-A-N-W-I-C-K sleep.com, or you can, uh, let's say you spell Swanick, or you can um, just type in Swannies or Swanick on Amazon and you can uh, find a pair of blue light blocking glasses there. Awesome. Great. I have to get some of those orange glasses. They're really rad. Look really good. Yeah. I need my daytime ones too. And we'll, we will put all of those resources in the show notes. So for anyone that's driving while they're listening, you can go back to the show notes and click on the links yeah. and make it nice and easy. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is really fun. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys um, having me on and inspiring people to sleep a little better and to maybe live more of an alcohol-free lifestyle. So I appreciate that. I should just say as well, my podcast is the Alcohol Free Lifestyle Podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So if anyone was interested in that topic in particular, just type in Alcohol Free Lifestyle in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Check him out. Thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking.